Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. In World War II, on the island of Crete, all of a sudden, one day, parachute troops from the Nazi side started dropping out of the sky. Now, the people of Crete were prepared for this moment. They had already heard how things were going north of them in Europe. They had hoped maybe their island status in the middle of the Mediterranean would stave off the Nazis for a little while. But once the the people of Crete saw those soldiers beginning to descend, they grabbed what they had. And the weapons they had were pitchforks, scythes, kitchen knives. And they determined in their amazing courage to go and try and fight the Nazis with those weapons. As you can well imagine, it didn't go well for the people of Crete. Their resistance lasted only very briefly. And in fact, the Nazis, because they resisted, determined that they were going to slaughter entire villages uh, of the people of Crete. And it, it, and it was a wholesale uh, disaster uh, f- uh, of epic proportions on that island. The young people, some of the women, were interred in concentration camps. And when the Nazis invaded, there was a young boy named Alexander Papaderis, only six years old, who was placed in one of these concentration camps. And he got to see and witness some of the worst horrors of the Nazis as they occupied the island of Crete. After the war, little Alexander did survive. After the war, one day, he was walking along one of the meandering country roads, and he came around a corner and came upon a a site where um, a a motorcycle that had been ridden by Nazi soldiers had crashed off the road, and being very poor, they had very little on the island. Certainly, toys were not a priority, but little Alexander discovered that when the motorcycle crashed, the mirror on the motorcycle broke. And he began to try to collect the the fragments of the mirror to put them back together, but he couldn't quite sort out how to do it. And, And so he ended up taking the biggest broken shard that he could find. And over time, he was able to polish the sharp edges off of that broken piece of mirror and and turned it into a nice round mirror by rubbing it on rocks and stones. And it was something that he found great delight in as a little boy. He would take this little polished mirror that he had created and and shine it into little crevices. He learned how to capture the sun and then move it in a certain way so that things were, the light was captured and he could see into places where he would have been afraid to go in or look in. Later on, Alexander did something pretty amazing. He, next to the airstrip where the Nazis had occupied the island and built their their, uh, little Air Force base, 
he established an institute for peace and understanding on the island after he had grown up. And he began to lecture and talk about the importance of different people coming together despite their, their differences and, and striving for peace and understanding. And, and on one day, he was asked a question, a, a very deep philosophical question. They asked him, Mr. Papadaris, in your mind, what's the meaning of life? Well, Papadaris thought for a moment about it. People obviously were a little nervous because he had told them of some of his uh, really rough upbringing in the concentration camp. But all of a sudden, he reached back and, and pulled out his wallet and dug around in the wallet. And inside the wallet was that little round piece of mirror that he had made as a little boy. He still had it. And he held up the mirror and he explained the story behind the mirror and he said, this mirror has become a metaphor for my life. And I want to read for you uh, words that later on uh, that got written down. This mirror, he said, became a metaphor for what I could do with my life. I'm a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I don't even know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into dark places, into the dark places of this world and the black places in the hearts of men. And I can, by reflecting that light, change some things in some people. I might not be able to do it for everyone. I might not be able to shine this light into to every dark place and every darkened heart. But I can do it for some people, he said. And perhaps when I do that, others may watch me shining light and do likewise. See this mirror? This is what I'm about, and this for me is the meaning of my life. I love that story, and, and honestly, I, I think if the Apostle Paul could somehow have miraculously fast-forwarded into that room where Papa Darius was ex explaining what he thought the meaning of life was, he would have related tremendously to this story. And here's why. If you, if you know the early life of the Apostle Paul, you know that his heart... And his life initially was, was filled with a lot of darkness and hatred of those who were unlike him. The apostle Paul, known then as Saul, had grown up and been trained to be a Pharisee, someone who held themselves with pride, some might say arrogance, above other people and look down their nose at people that they considered to be lesser and less obedient, less devoted and dedicated to God. In fact, through that pride and arrogance that Paul developed in Phariseeism, he developed a hatred when the Christians came along. And in his early life, some of you may know this, he began to persecute the very first Christian martyr, the very first person who died for their faith was a man named Stephen. And the person supervising Stephen's stoning was Saul, later known as the Apostle Paul. 
One day, this young man, so well-educated, so filled with pride, was literally walking miles and miles, dozens of miles, so that he could go to another city near Jerusalem named Damascus. And it was quite a journey. The journey itself required some dedication on Paul's part. And the only reason Paul was going here with his little entourage was because he wanted to take down some more Christians. He wanted to ensure that this Christian faith did not get propagated and spread any further. He was going to have them arrested. He was going to have their property confiscated. And if there was any resistance they would end up the same as Stephen had ended up, stoned. Can you imagine dying by being stoned to death, the pain? So this was Paul. But talk about light shining into your life, light shining into the darkness of your heart. All of a sudden, on that road to Damascus, we read in Acts chapter 9, you can read it for yourself, a bright light shone on the apostle Paul. In fact, this bright light was so bright, it ended up uh, damaging and injuring Paul's eyes for a little while, such that he couldn't see. And out of the midst of this bright light shining on Paul came a voice. A voice that asked a very simple question. Simple in one way. The voice simply said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, that's a simple question in one way because it was very plain. This, this was Jesus talking to Saul on his way to further the persecution and Jesus putting to him the pointed question, why are you persecuting me, Saul? But there's an interesting twist to the question, too, that makes it a little bit more complicated. Because Paul had not been literally or directly persecuting Christ. He had been persecuting the followers of Christ. But do you see how Jesus, our Savior, identifies with you, with us? with his church so deeply that when someone hurts us, Jesus says, you are not just persecuting them, Paul, you're persecuting me. Paul had some time after this to reflect. Jesus sent a, a man named Ananias to heal his eyesight and then and then God told Saul that his name would become Paul, a Greek version of the same name, and that he would be sent to the Greeks. He would be sent to the Gentiles to share Christ because on that road to Damascus, when that light shone into Paul's heart, he completely turned around. He repented of the things that he had done. He realized that his past life had been a life of darkness, that his own heart had been filled with darkness, and he began to trust and believe in Jesus Christ as his Savior and his Lord. And from that point on, Paul became a missionary to, to people who didn't know the story and the meaning of the story of Christ. An amazing transformation. But no more amazing, really, than many of the stories in this room that I know. 
Stories of how Christ and the gospel, the message of Christ dying on the cross and rising from the tomb, have shown into hearts in this room, shown into lives in this room. Some of you from very young on, through your parents bringing you up only maybe a few days or weeks old to be baptized and then continuing to, to take you over to uh, Crosswalk Kids or its equivalent at some other church and, and praying with you at home and, 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 and teaching and training you to know this beautiful gospel of the cross and the empty tomb, to know about forgiveness of sins, to know about remission of guilt and the hope of eternal life all of which Jesus brings us. You see, some of you have had that for a long time. Some of you have had it for a shorter time. Like me, you only encountered the gospel maybe in high school or college or later on even as an adult. And you have a whole different kind of appreciation for the change because you remember the dark times. And some of you, I have to imagine, are sitting here still wondering, Still wondering if Christ is real, if God is real, if the gospel is anything more than a myth. And you're sitting here, maybe because someone brought you and invited you to come today, or maybe because in your curiosity, you wandered in, you saw one of our billboards or received one of our postcards or, or a friend handed you an invitation. And you're wondering if any of this is real. See, what I'm about to teach you today, the reason I'm kind of going back to the gospel basics is to find out what you were made by God to do, that starts with our hearts. And we cannot possibly understand what God has made us to do without faith in our hearts, without knowing Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And it has to start with light, the mirror of God's beautiful gospel shining light into our hearts and helping us to understand who God really is how deep his love and mercy for each of us is, no matter how far we've wandered from him, no matter how many wrong and hurtful things we've done, that God, our God, still loves us and pursues us and wants us and accepts us. This is the God that the Bible reveals. And so doing what we're meant to do, what we're made to do, starts with the message of a, of a passage like Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. It's in your crosswalk notes. Take a look. Notice what it says here. For it is by grace you have been saved. Grace is God's undeserved love through faith. You've been saved from your sins, saved from eternal death in hell, saved from your former way of life and brought to a new and better way of life. And that's all happened by grace through faith, And even this faith is not from yourselves. It too is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Now, this is Paul who had been taught as a Pharisee that everything is by works. Everything is by performance. Everything is by what you do and what you say and how you act and by being better. Look at the transformation in his message and in his beliefs. Now, as a Christian, I understand that I don't have to do anything. God has already done it 
for me. It's his gift to me, not by works so that no one can boast. For Paul goes on to say, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. God saved me from my sins, from death in hell, from my past way of life. He saved me to do what I was made to do. A lot of times in the church, we talk about what we're saved from. And I've talked about that this morning. We are saved from our sins. We are saved from hell and eternal death. We are saved from the guilt and the shame of our past way of life. That's, that's erased by Christ's blood shed on the cross for us and by his resurrection. But not so often do we talk about the fact that not only were we saved from something, we were also saved for something. And that God wants to use each of us, and this is part of why he has saved us and left us here in this world so that he can use us as his instruments. Like that little boy Alexander using that mirror to do the things that he wanted to do by holding it in his hand. God wants to hold you in his hand. And he wants to use you to shine light into dark hearts, to do the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. So God saved me to do what I was made to do. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about, real quickly, four aspects of how God saved us and how he made, to, made us to do things in his kingdom. In Italy, there are two islands off the coast of Venice. The two islands are named Murano and Burano. And, and the, the beauty of these islands, if you visit them, is that back in the 1200s, the late 1200s, the people were actually kicked out of Venice and exiled to these islands, mainly because of Murano, because the people that they kicked out were glassmakers, and they had these very hot furnaces, and the people of Venice were convinced that if they left the glassmakers, Venice would one day burn down. So they exiled all the people to this island of Murano. Later on, there was another group of artisans who made beautiful lace, and they said, well, if the glassmakers have their own island, we as lace makers need to have our own island. Now, I want you, if, if you get a chance later today, just look up Murano glass or Burano lace. And what you're going to find out is that each piece of Murano glass or Burano lace is intricate, uh, intricately, there I got it out, <laughs> intricately designed and built each with its own unique use and appearance by the artist. You know where I'm going with this? God's our artist. And he has intricately, I got it there, designed each of you, specifically created you for his purpose. And how do I know this? Read with me. Psalm 139. I'd like you to read it aloud with me. It's in your crosswalk notes. We're going to read Psalm 139, 13 to 16. The reason I want you to read this aloud is I'd like you to go home later and highlight this in your Bibles. This is a verse that I absolutely love. For you, 
created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Do you see what that's saying about you? You were beautifully designed and created even to the point of God knowing in advance how many days he's going to, to, to leave you here so that you could serve the purpose that God has for you. I want you to write this down. God created me to live my life purposefully. Like a glassmaker on Murano, like a, a lace maker on Burano, these two islands, God intricately designed us to serve a purpose that he had in his mind, in his plan. And I want you to circle the word in that point, created. Because that's the first thing God does for us in salvation. He creates us in great love with specific talents and gifts. Now let me ask you a question. What is worship? A lot of times when I ask that question, here's the answer that I'll get back. Well, worship is when you come to church and you sing and then you pray together with other people and then you listen to a message. There might be some other things woven in there like an Apostles' Creed where we confess our faith. There, there may well be, if it's crosswalk, there will always be a place where I have a chance to pray and confess my sins to God and hear about his forgiveness for me. That's worship. And that's not a bad idea of what worship is, but it is a very closed-down definition of what worship is. That in actuality, worship is life. And if I were to ask you, when do we worship at Crosswalk, you might be tempted to answer, well, we worship at 9 and 11 on Sunday morning. But what I'm telling you, according to God's definition of worship, is that we worship at 9 and 10 and 11 and 12 and on Sunday and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and all week long, 24-7, because worship in a, in a much broader sense, in a much, I think of it as a truer sense, is our response to God's first love for us. That's what worship truly is. Now, Jonathan said it beautifully, sometimes when we worship as he pointed out to us this morning, we set ourselves up for a little embarrassment, don't we? Remember he told about David and not everybody understood his worship? Peter got that because he was living his life as a Christ follower, worshiping 24-7, and he was frequently misunderstood as he lived his life reverently and worshipfully, and yet he said, how can I do any different because Christ, in great love, at the cost of his own life, redeemed me, bought me back. 
And, and what that means is it's the equivalent of what young Alexander Papadaris did. When we talk about we were redeemed, what we mean is that Christ came here and through his death and resurrection, he found us little shards separated from each other and separated also from God and he, he collected us and gathered us up and, and polished and reshaped us He brought us back from destruction. He brought us back from the ash heap. He bought us out of our slavery to sin and death, reshaped our hearts, our minds, and our lives, and now is determined to use you and me for his purpose. That's what redeemed means. Here's what I want to read with you. Look at 1 Peter 17 to 19, and you'll see Paul encouraging us, since we've been redeemed by the blood of Christ, the beautiful and valuable blood of Christ, to live our lives reverently, that is, worshipfully. Since you call on a father, you have a new relationship with God. He's not just high and mighty God, ready to step on you like a bug. He is your father now through Christ. He's dad. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God gave the perfect sacrifice to bring you into his family. And notice what Peter says. He does not say, live out your Sunday mornings as foreigners here, does he? Do you see that line? Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your Sunday mornings as foreigners here in reverent fear. Is that what it says? Live out your lives here as foreigners in reverent, that is worshipful, fear or respect of this God who has paid such a high price to rescue you and shape you for service in his kingdom. Write this down. Jesus redeemed me to live my life reverently. You can circle the word redeemed. So God created you to live your life purposefully. Now he has redeemed you to live your life reverently. The question this morning is, how do I know that I'm on the path to doing what I was made to do? Answer this for me. What's the biggest hindrance, do you think, to finding out what you were made to do? The number one roadblock to finding out what God made you to do. You know what I think it is? I think it is trying to do life all by yourself. Because when we try to do life, and in our American culture, we, we have this John Wayne thing going on. And, and we think we can do everything in our own power, everything by ourselves, and we're actually a little embarrassed sometimes to ask for help or plug into a group because to us it seems like, well, do I not have the confidence to think that I can get things done all by myself? And so we make this big mistake of trying to live life independently instead of interdependently. 
Get the difference? You see, a lot of times in American culture, we're taught that the highest and the best are those who can live independently. That is not the highest and the best in God's kingdom. The highest and the best in God's kingdom is to not live independently, but interdependently. Helping and serving and loving and being helped and being served and being loved. I want you to listen to this verse from Romans 12. For just as each of us has one body with one members, with many members, one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. Write this down. Jesus positioned me in this world to live my life cooperatively. You could write interdependently. God wants us to go through life together with other Christ followers. Turn the page. In the entertainment world, do you know what they call someone who is all independent and filled with pride and doesn't need any help, just wants to boss people around? We call them a diva. God is saying, don't be a diva. And you know where that word comes from? Diva actually has a Latin root. It's, it's originally an Italian word. The Italian word behind diva is divas, which comes from the Latin word deus. Any Latin scholars? Deus is God. So if I'm a diva, I think that I am God. And I don't need all y'all. Because I'm completely capable of doing it all on my own. What God is saying here is don't be a diva. 1 Corinthians 12, 4 to 7, top of page 2 says, There are different gifts, different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. It is the same God at work. Underline those words. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Young Alexander polished up his mirror, and at nighttime he went out and he shone light into the dark crevices and, and crags and caves on Crete, right? Wrong. What's wrong about that? I said at why didn't he do it at nighttime unless maybe there was a big, bright, full moon? Because a mirror can only shine with the light that is directed into it from the sun. And you have to angle it just right so that it captures the light of the sun and then angle it so it goes into that dark crack or crevice. You see, the mirror has no power on its own. Do you see... Do you see what Paul is writing to the Corinthians here? He's saying to the Corinthians, to us, we're like those mirrors. We have no power on our own. We can only get powered up if the Holy Spirit, if God himself powers us up. We need his light to shine light into the lives of other people. 
There are different kinds of working. You, you might, here in this room, we have a collection of gifts and talents, personalities, abilities, histories, backgrounds, ethnicities, which is a beautiful thing, by the way. I love this church because of what I just said. But we all have the Spirit working in our hearts through the gospel, and that brings light into our hearts and minds, and then that light can reflect off of us like a mirror into the the, the dark hearts of other people in this community, in this city, in this world. Write this down. The Spirit empowered me to live my life generously. So you're following this? God, I'm really developing this idea. Go back to the first page. God saved me to do what I was made to do. And I said that starts with our hearts. So let me tie this together with you. How does it start with our hearts? It starts with me realizing Psalm 139, God created me, this heart, this mind, this body, this set of talents to live my life purposely. That's how he created me. Then my heart changes when I realize Jesus redeemed me to live my life worshipfully and reverently. Then my heart changes a little more when I realize God perfectly positioned me within a body to live my life cooperatively and interdependently. And now the final way that God helps me in saving me is what we just wrote down, the Spirit empowered me, or we're going to write down, the Spirit empowered me to live my life generously, to take the light that we've been given and share it with others. And when we do all of those things, when we realize in our hearts that God created us, redeemed us, positioned us, and empowered us, and and taking those home into our hearts, we realize our life is to be a life of purpose, a life of reverently worshiping God, a life of working together with my brothers and sisters in Christ, and a life of pouring out generously to others, then we can live our life with purposes and we can live our life effectively. Take a look at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, this diverse group, Paul says, slave or free. And we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made of of one part, but of many. And I want you to hear these words loud and clear, every one of you. Let's read them together, in fact. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a part of it. Right? You're a part of it. You're a part of this body. You're a part of God's purpose for your life. And you are part of Christ who has redeemed you. So the Spirit called me to live my life effectively. When we come together, remembering all these things I just went through again, now we can live our lives for God's purpose, doing the thing that we were made to do, and be effective for God in his kingdom. You know, when David's life was over, as Luke, the author of Acts, says, God called him home. 
he had lived his life effectively for God's purpose. And as long as we're here, that's what we're to do. I'm going to give you one more practical lesson. When we look at David, I think there's one thing that he did that helped him to find what he was made to do and live his life effectively. He stayed in motion. David was a shepherd boy. He could have sat back in the fields, tending the sheep, looked up to the sky and said, God, what would you like me to do for you? Would you please tell me? Send me a sign. Give me some sort of thought in my mind. I'll wait here, God, until you tell me what it is that you made me to do. Is that how David did it? It's not. David was a shepherd boy. His brothers were fighting, so he went and delivered some food to them. And in delivering food to them, he heard this story about this guy that keeps coming out from the Philistines every day, a guy named Goliath. Now, David was a man of motion and a man of action. So what does he do? He goes, does he go, see you guys, I got to go back to the fields and think some more about what God wants me to do. I'm going to pray harder. I'm going to look for God's guidance. I'm going to meditate on this for a little longer. Or did David see a need and see an opportunity for his particular gifts? He was pretty good at slinging stones. And step up and say, I want to serve. Now, everybody thought, as Jonathan said, this boy is ridiculous. But he stayed in motion he took action, and he found what he was made to do. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Do not sit back in the fields with your sheep thinking about what God made you to do. Be in motion. Get in action. Sign up for a volunteer team. Join a growth group. Talk to somebody at hashtag church or out in the lobby and and in stepping forward the way David stepped forward, you will find what God has made you to do. Write this down. Life is all about finding God's purpose and serving that purpose. And to find this, I must be in motion. Now, while you're in motion, I'm going to give you five things to think about. Think about your spiritual gifts. Are you a prayer? Are you an encourager? Do you have a gift of languages? Every week we have a Spanish version of the notes because we have people in our church with the spiritual gift of tongues. And they translate our notes for people who want to have them in Spanish. H is heart. What do you have a heart for? What's your, what are you passionate? What do you love to do? A is abilities. What has God gifted you to do? There is a lady in this church, and I think Pastor Dan has already told us a little bit about her, but she knows that she was made to hold babies over in Crosswalk Kids, and she says it again and again. This is what God made me to do. She just knows it. Personality. What, are you an introvert, an extrovert? What's your personality like? And finally, experiences. And the next two experiences, I want you to write these words. Especially difficult or painful experiences. God uses painful and difficult experiences to polish off the rough edges in our hearts and minds and lives. And in so doing then, he equips us for 
doing what we're meant to do. Now, in, along those lines, I want to illustrate this by asking Calvin to come out. Welcome, Calvin. This is Calvin Hugger. It's great to have you here this morning. You want to welcome Calvin, everybody? Yay. Now, many of you have probably seen Calvin because he's been an usher uh, for many years here at Crosswalk and before that and in other churches. So a lot of us get to walk past Calvin every day. We see him come and receive the offering for us. But Calvin's just moved into a new position. So he's kind of in motion, still finding out what it is. And, and so, Calvin, I want to ask you this first of all. First of all, we talked about how God's grace touches and shapes our lives. It is by grace you've been saved through faith. Could you talk a little bit about how grace has touched your life? Yeah, what grace has done for me is, first off, it gave me good parents, a good mother and a father, great wife, great kids, great pastors. Um, and uh, once again, you know, my growth group team, um, members of churches, um, just been a part. So by good grace, I've had a Christian uh, background surrounding me. So and you have to be blessed by God to have that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, God is gracious in so many different ways to us. Now, as I introduced you, I said, you just recently changed from being our head usher to something new. Talk about that and why you made that change. Yeah, um, that's kind of Kind of interesting. Since I've been a member here and we've been at the church, I've always sat back behind that soundboard and said, man, I could run that. Um, there's a lot of other things they, to set up. So I got involved in, in just being a part of that. And, and it's different because I enjoy it. And I enjoyed being an usher. I was an usher for 40 years. But um, that, that just, just means a lot more. So I'm, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to the opportunity to to work with the, the sound team, the tech team. That's what it looks like to be in motion. And you said you were an usher for 40 years. So you started when you were two years old? No, no, no. I'm older than that. Um, I started, um, my dad was a head usher. Um, I was in seventh grade. He put us into our first uh, Christian school, me and my younger brother. And um, so seventh grade. And uh, so he, I used to go with him and afterwards he said get all the bulletins out of the pews and he said I want you to um, keep this tradition going and follow up and, and get your kid if your son if, if he does it so that's how I got that's how I've been an usher for so long that's awesome and you're still finding your sweet spot which is which is a great illustration for all of us so I want you to look at these people mm -hmm. and tell them why you feel it's important for them to find their sweet spot well, well, I think the, the most important thing is that you find just, just to serve, just to give God your time, whatever it is. The sweet spot, I always feel this. You'll find it within yourself, but God will show you what that sweet spot is, and then you can be involved in or get involved in that particular portion. And I just, once again, that comes back to God's grace. If you have God's grace within you, um, he will show you the way and get you involved in the right thing. But you only know that unless you volunteer, give some of your time, and God will show you the right way. Calvin, thank you so much. Beautiful. Thank you. So we're going to uh, pray and then have a song, and the song is going to be called Build Your Kingdom Here. And I want you to think about this in two ways. First of all, obviously, we could think of it collectively, but remember what I said, that, that it starts 
with our hearts. And so as you sing this song today, as you're thinking about, yes, God, in Levine, in South Phoenix, in this city, build your kingdom here through the preaching and teaching of the gospel. But I also want you to be thinking this, Father, build your kingdom here because it starts with my heart. And I want your kingdom to be built here so that I can come together, find my shape and my sweet spot and serve you and glorify you with my life. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you are amazing in your grace. Undeservedly, without us doing anything, as we read from your apostle Paul, and we see from his example, you sent your son to rescue and redeem us. There's nothing beyond that beautiful gospel message that that could so strike our hearts with how much you love us. As we ponder the cross and the empty tomb, Lord, we are amazed again at how you constantly pursue us, come after us relentlessly to save us for, for now in this present world and for eternity. Lord, build your kingdom through this church, but build your kingdom first in our hearts because it starts with our hearts. And when when our hearts are changed, when our minds are changed, we can be game changers. We can find that right spot where we can serve and glorify you. And man, can we make a difference then. Lord, we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You want to find the thing that God made you to do, your sweet spot, what you were shaped for? It starts by getting in motion. It just does. It can't be found by sitting back and waiting for God to somehow tell you. Go to the resource center in the lobby. Attend attend hashtag church next week. Sign up for a growth group. Get in motion, and God will show you how to build his kingdom here and here in this city.